listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our scripture reading today is from Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. And unlike Cindy last week, I have no Aramaic, so. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And thank you, Julie, for that reading. Well, guys, this is it. Uh, After more than a year in Mark's gospel, all 19 pages of it for a whole year, uh, 53 Sundays, um, I went back and calculated over 22 hours of preaching. Good good on you. Um, From, from me, from Pastor Alicia, from a number of others, uh, we are finally wrapping up the Gospel of Mark today. Woo, there you go. Don't get too excited, though. You don't know what's coming next. <laughs> it could be bad. Uh, Leviticus part two. No, no, we're not going to do that. Um, <clears throat> I've really enjoyed this series. I've had a lot of fun uh, going through this book together. I hope it has been um, as uh, impactful and as fun for you all as it has been for me. Um, After uh, all this time, more than a year in Mark's Gospel, and go back one slide, um, it is appropriate that our sermon today is titled, The End, right? But it's, yeah, it's not the end, right? It's not the end. There's a question mark there. So it's more like the end? Yeah, you got it, you got it, you got to get the inflection right. Very, very important. Um, Now, we do have Sermon Talk Back uh, happening uh, today in the parlor, uh, right after worship. Uh, We're going to come back to that question mark and see where that all goes. Uh, But if you're interested in staying for that, I want to encourage you to do so. Um, We're going to meet in the parlor, which is the room right off the fellowship hall out there and to the left. Um, It gives all of us something to do before gathering table. And I know for us parents, it gives us something to do uh, while the kids are practicing in here for the the Christmas play. So that's always a plus. Uh, So please join us for that. And after this sermon, you might have some questions. I'm just saying. But we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, Let's get into it. Easter in October. <laughs> um, if you're a church person, if, if you grew up in church, um, or even if you didn't, but if you've spent some time around church, some time around Christians, um, you are probably somewhat familiar with this story. The resurrection of Jesus, the empty tomb, Easter Sunday, every single church on the planet preaches on this one at least once a year, am I right? 
And, and we even get four versions of this story in our Bibles. There are four accounts of the resurrection of Jesus in the Bible. Uh, there's one in the Gospel of Mark, which Julie just read for us, one in the Gospel of Matthew, one in Luke, and one in John. Four versions of the same event, but they're all a little different. And Mark especially is kind of weird. It starts out just like the story we've all heard. It's, it's Sunday morning, uh, the first day of the week. Uh, the women, these female disciples of Jesus, are heading out to the tomb very early to anoint Jesus' body. Uh, Mark actually names these ladies for us. We've got Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. Now, if you were here last week, those names should sound familiar. Where have we heard about those women before? At the cross, right? Exactly. It's the same women, the same female disciples of Jesus, who were at the cross when Jesus died and who saw his body placed in the tomb. That's a really important detail. Mark is making a case here. He's trying to build an argument for the validity of Jesus' resurrection. See, in all four Gospels, it's women who discover the empty tomb. Um, when the resurrected Jesus makes his appearance to various people, it's almost always women that he appears to first. It's a really interesting detail because back then, women weren't viewed as reliable witnesses. Remember, we're talking about the first century, first century Judea of all places. Women couldn't own property. Uh, they couldn't testify in court. Women weren't even viewed as citizens if you were going to make this story up, if you were going to like invent a story about Jesus raising from the dead, the last detail you would put in is that it was women who found the empty tomb. No one's going to believe them. No one in the first century is going to believe a group of women who claim they found the tomb empty. You would never add that detail if you were making this story up. Which leads me to believe that it's true. The only reason Mark would say that women found the empty tomb is if women found the empty tomb. That's not a detail that would have made this story any more persuasive to people back then. Mark realizes that, so he tries to bolster their credibility by pointing out that these are the same women who were there when Jesus died. The same group of people saw Jesus die, they saw him put in the tomb, and they were there on Easter morning to discover the empty tomb. And as Mary, Mary, and Salome are making their way to the tomb, there's that famous exchange, you know, where they're like, who's going to roll the stone away for, for us? You know, you know that story? Like, what are we going to do? This is because ancient tombs were basically caves. Uh, you would carve a tomb into the side of a hill or a mountain, um, and then you would roll a big stone in front of it to, to seal it, to really to keep the smell inside was the idea. These women are coming early in the morning to bring spices to anoint Jesus' dead body, but they don't know how they're going to get into the tomb. They don't know how they're going to roll away the stone. Luckily, though, that problem is solved real quick because they get to the tomb and they find that the stone is already rolled away. Verse 4. <clears throat> I have that on the slide. Perfect. When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. <laughs> Understatement of the century, right? Um, <laughs> Jesus' body is gone, 
and there's some dude dressed in white just sitting there, just like hanging out. Um, traditionally, this is understood to be an angel of some kind, although Mark doesn't call him an angel, which is interesting. Um, and this, this dude in white says this, uh, verse 6, Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there's the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Then the text tells us that in response, the women fled from the tomb for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The end. <laughs> it, it's kind of a weird ending, right? Like a little, a little abrupt, um, anticlimactic, we might say. The Gospel of Mark ends with these ladies fleeing the tomb in terror, saying nothing to anyone. Of course, I'm over here like clearly they told someone, right? Because got, it got written down. But it's a, it's a really strange way to end it. And uh, if you're following along in your own Bible, uh, maybe you brought a Bible from home or you got it on your phone, um, you are probably thinking right now, hold on a second, Dan. Uh, that is not the end of the story. My Bible keeps going. Um, you know what? If you've got a Bible with you, open it up. Because uh, we need to look at this. We need to look at an actual paper Bible. If not, grab a pew Bible, because this is important. This is, there is something very interesting happening in our Bibles right at the end of Mark. Uh, in fact, while you're opening up, I'll let you know. So one of the first things I do whenever like a new translation of the Bible comes out, or if I'm at like the bookstore and, oh, there's a new study Bible, one of the first things I check is I go to Mark chapter 16 to see how they handled the end of Mark. Um, because the Gospel of Mark has different endings, you guys. Um, it's page one, or sorry, page 830 in our Pew Bibles. Um, our Pew Bibles do something kind of interesting with this. Uh, we're looking at the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. Um, you'll see on page 830, you get the end of verse 8. And then there's a little subheading that says, the shorter ending of Mark. You see that? And then you get some text in brackets with no verse numbers, which is interesting. And then right under that, we have the longer ending of Mark. And you get like another, what, 10 or 12 verses also in brackets. It's a choose-your-own-adventure Bible, basically. (laughs) Pressed for time? Go with the shorter ending. But if you got a minute, we got another 12 verses for you. This is so strange. Um, here's, the, here's the shorter ending of Mark from our pew Bibles in little brackets. And all that had been commanded them, they told briefly to those around Peter. And afterward, Jesus himself sent out through them from east to west the sacred and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. Now, you are all experts in the Gospel of Mark at this point, right? We, we've been, I like that, I like that someone said, yeah. <laughs> uh, we, no, but no, we've been, we've been reading this text together for over a year. We have read every verse, every word in the Gospel of Mark. Does that sound like Mark? The sacred and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. Is that how Mark writes? 
No, not at all, right? Yeah, Mark's not using big words. Uh, Mark's, Mark's is the common man's gospel, right? Mark, Mark is like, Jesus is over here, then he's over there, then he went back over here, then Jesus goes over here and does the thing. Mark's gospel reads like it was written with a, by, by like a kid with ADHD. Like that's, that's the tone of Mark's gospel. This is not Mark. You don't even have to read it in Greek to see that this doesn't fit. Uh, and I'm not even going to read the longer ending um, because ain't no one got time for that. Um, but if you have time later, if you go home and you want to read the longer ending of Mark, um, you're going to notice that it doesn't sound very much like the rest of Mark either. In fact, the longer ending of Mark, uh, verses 9 to 20, is basically a, a bullet-pointed summary of all the stuff from the other Gospels. That's what we get in the longer ending of Mark. But that's not all we have on page 830 in our Pew Bibles. There's also a footnote. Um, at the end of verse 8, again, page 830, you're going to see this little footnote after four they were afraid. Footnote A, do you guys see that? Okay, <clears throat> here's what that says at the bottom of the page, and it is very small font. I put it up on the screen in case, in case you want bigger. Um, but here's footnote A. Some of the most ancient authorities bring the book to a close at the end of verse 8. One authority concludes the book with the shorter ending. Others include the shorter ending and then continue with verses 9 to 20. In most authorities, verses 9 to 20 follow immediately after verse 8, though in some of these authorities, the passage is marked as being doubtful. <laughs> Thanks, Bible translation team. That helps clear it up. Um, I want to flesh this out a little bit uh, in English to kind of unpack uh, what's, beyond, what's, what's like behind all this. We have about 1,200 or so, give or take, ancient manuscripts of the Gospel of Mark. About 1,200. Pretty good for an old book. Uh, a lot of these manuscripts are just fragments, maybe like a few verses or like a couple chapters with the rest lost because paper does not hold up very well over the centuries. Um, but we also have a number of very old, complete copies of Mark's gospel. All the oldest manuscripts we have, all of them, end at verse 8. Every one of the oldest copies of Mark's gospel we have ends at verse 8 with the women fleeing the tomb. It's not until the 5th century, uh, some 400 years, give or take, after Mark was written, that we start finding copies with these other endings. Some have the shorter ending, some have the shorter ending and then the longer ending, and some just have the longer ending with like a little note in the margins that says this part's not original. However you slice it, these other endings were added later by Christians who weren't very comfortable with Mark's original ending. I know that's going to freak some of you out, <laughs> okay? I know for some of us it's like, what? Someone added to my Bible? Don't back off the ledge for a second. Um, that's something we can actually talk a lot more about at Sermon Talkback today. If you want to stay for that, we can talk about how we got our Bibles and why scribes are adding things. For now, though, um, I just want to say that it kind of makes sense. Like, you can understand why someone would do this. Of course you would have some scribe in the Middle Ages copying all this down who doesn't like the end of Mark's gospel. There's no appearance of Jesus. 
the women just run away from the tomb and say nothing to anyone? We can't have that. So we get these alternate endings to try to bring Mark more in line with the other Gospels. It also needs to be said, though, um, that the original ending of Mark's Gospel, verses 1 to 8, say explicitly that the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. That's in Mark's ending, the original ending. So it's not like the resurrection was missing or anything like that. We just don't get to see the risen Jesus in Mark's version of the story. Mark leaves us, he leaves us hanging with the empty tomb and the women running away. This super abrupt, anticlimactic ending of the book. And I want to talk about why. Why would Mark end his gospel like this? Like, why not tie it up with a nice bow like all the other gospel writers, have Jesus show up, let Thomas touch his hands, reinstate Peter, float up into heaven? Like, why doesn't Mark give us that? I think there are at least two reasons. Um, First, I think Mark wants his audience to share in the terror of these women. Mark wants us to be just as unsettled, just as uncomfortable, and scandalized by the empty tomb as these female disciples of Jesus. Uh, We don't often talk about the horror of the resurrection, right? Like, this, this is not a Halloween story. This is an Easter story, right? It's good news. Mark's version, though, kind of reads like a ghost story. For Mark's original audience, the raising of Jesus from the dead, it would have been good news, but it was also very troubling news. Remember, Mark is writing to Christians who live in the Roman Empire, and Rome demanded total allegiance from its citizens. To be a citizen of Rome was to align yourself with Roman culture, Roman religion, Roman ethics, Roman economics, Roman politics, Roman militarism and conquest. The Roman Empire exerted authority over every single aspect of life. But Mark presents Jesus as an alternative source of authority. He's an alternative Lord to Caesar. And Jesus demonstrates this level of authority, this level of power that is just as wide-ranging and all-encompassing as Caesar's was. Throughout this book, we've seen Jesus throw it down with every conceivable power and principality. He's taken on Mother Nature, calming storms, healing diseases. Um, He's taken on the spiritual realm, casting out demons, teaching with authority. He's gone toe-to-toe with Pilate, Herod, the Sanhedrin, That's religious authorities, political authorities, Roman, Jewish, you name it. This is what gets him on the cross. If Jesus stays dead, the status quo is maintained. Nothing changes. The gospel becomes a a nice little morality book about a, a failed prophet. If Jesus is still in the tomb, Rome won. And we can just go back to business as usual. But if he's alive, if that tomb is really empty, we have some decisions to make. If Rome, if the most powerful force on the planet 
an empire that demands our total allegiance through everything it had at Jesus, and he's still alive, that changes things. You can't give your allegiance to Rome and to Jesus. That, that's not how allegiance works. <laughs> that, that, that doesn't work. The two are incompatible. You can't pledge your faith to the most dominant military superpower on the planet and put your faith in Jesus. That doesn't work, my fellow Americans. <laughs> the, the two are not compatible. Our economic system is not compatible with the way of Jesus. Our military might, the way we exert control around the world, is not compatible with the way of Jesus. Uh, our two main political parties and the way they get us to distrust and hate each other is not compatible with the way of Jesus. The way we treat the poor, the way we treat the rich, um, our history of stealing land from native peoples and developing that land through slave labor, none of that is compatible with the way of Jesus. Jesus demands our total allegiance. He claims authority over all things on earth, above the earth, and under the earth. If that tomb is empty, that is a terrifying proposition. Mark wants us to feel that terror. He wants his readers at the end of this story to have a lump in our throats and a bit of an upset stomach. But I think there's a second reason Mark ends his story in this way. That's because he wants us to keep the story going. He's inviting us to continue the story. Go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. That's a weird message, isn't it? It's a weird way to end it. Jesus isn't here, but go to Galilee. You'll, you'll find him there. It's a cliffhanger. The Gospel of Mark ends with this invitation that, as far as we know, goes unanswered. The story is incomplete. Maybe that's because Mark wants us to continue the story. There's actually a trend you find in some contemporary storytelling. Um, you see it in like, like artsy independent films and novels by like, people like Kafka, who are really annoying to read, uh, where the author will just stop the story, like just short of the, of the end, just short of the climax, to kind of mess with the audience, right? That's the idea. Um, this happens in the movie No Country for Old Men. Um, I can't recommend this movie because it is super violent, you guys. Um, but the, the main character in No Country for Old Men is this guy who finds a stash of money um, at like a drug deal gone bad. And he steals it like you do. Uh, and then for, for the rest of the movie, this guy is on the run with a, with a drug cartel after him and a, and a hitman trying to track him down. And uh, spoiler alert for, for No Country for Old Men. Uh, I'm spoiling it so you don't have to watch it. Um, but as this movie goes on, this guy has close call after close call. It looks like, it looks like they're going to get him, but he gets away. It looks like he's going to get caught, but he gets away. And then out of nowhere, like two-thirds of the way through the movie, it just cuts to this crime scene where the main character is dead and the money's gone. 
The main character dies off screen, you guys. We don't even get to see it. Like this whole thing that's been driving the entire plot is just taken away from us, and then the movie kind of putters out. It's really frustrating. (laughs) It kind of makes you wish that you can jump in and just change the movie. It makes you wish you could, like, write a different ending. Um, Another example uh, is this legend about Mozart. It's an old story about teenage Mozart. There he is with his cool sunglasses. It's a story that's probably not true. It's probably apocryphal. Um, But supposedly, when Mozart was a teenager, his mom had a hard time getting him out of bed in the morning. Uh, Teenagers have not changed a lot since the 1770s. But according to this story, when Mozart wouldn't get out of bed, his mom would walk down the hall to to the piano that was right down the hall from his bedroom, and she would play this. Right? Like, ah! And teenage Mozart, according to the story, would like get out of bed, march angrily down the hall, and go (laughs) to finish it. That's how she would get him out of bed. He had to finish it. Um, Oh, gosh. One other example. If you're not a movie person or a music person, imagine if you were forced to sit in a room with a puzzle uh, that had one piece out of place. Okay? and you have no phone, no screens, nothing to distract yourself, how long could you sit there before you just put the puzzle piece back in? Right? I don't think I would last 90 seconds, just being honest. <laughs> Tiffany feels my pain. I think that's what's going on with the Gospel of Mark. The story is unfinished because Mark wants us to finish it. Mark's inviting us to keep this story going. We are the disciples getting this invitation from the angel. We're the ones hiding out in the upper upper room, afraid, not really sure what's coming next, not knowing where this is going to go. When suddenly we get this invitation, Jesus has already gone ahead of you to Galilee. Go find him there. Get out of the place where you're hiding. Get out of your comfort zone. Get out of the sanctuary or the church. Go out in the world and find Jesus. The disciples are told specifically to go to Galilee. Galilee was their home turf. It's where Mark's story of Jesus started, but Galilee is also a gateway to the rest of the world. Right? If, you're, if you're down here somewhere in Jerusalem, Galilee is how you get to the rest of the world. You go north from Galilee, you hit Syria. Keep going around the Sea of Galilee, you hit the Decapolis, which was like a big area at the time. Go past that, you're in Arabia. Galilee is the gateway to the rest of the world. Mark ends his gospel with an invitation to follow Jesus to the ends of the earth, to keep the story going by adding our chapter. It's not going to be easy. Uh, We will have to make some difficult decisions about where our allegiance lies and what we put our faith in. We might have to interact with some people we don't know, some people we don't like. Uh, We might have to love our enemies. We could become outcasts, pariahs. Following Jesus in public might cost you credibility, might cost your reputation. You could be branded a heretic 
If you're unsettled, that's good. You're getting it. If you're feeling a little defensive, worried about what you might have to give up or change, you're tracking. That's good. We could let the story end here. This could be the end. But Mark invites us to keep that story going by following Jesus out into the world. If we're going to answer that invitation, we need to hear it. So instead of what we normally do, where I wrap up the sermon and then I pray, I want to let Mark have the final word in his own book. I'm going to reread our scripture passage, same one Julie read for us, but this time we're not putting it on the screens. I'm just going to leave that picture up there. You can follow along your Bibles if you want, but I want to invite us to hear this the way Mark's original audience would have, to listen. Maybe be creative, use your imagination. Close your eyes if you want and picture this final scene. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there's the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid." listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at Brockport FB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.